and welcome to the pod of never. This is your host, Matthew Nanez. It's been a while. <laughs> if you're uh, if you're uh, a regular to the show, it's been a, a few weeks since I posted uh, posted an episode. If you're just finding me, uh, either through uh, Jonah, uh, who is uh, my guest and doing part two of my conversation with Jonah Matranga, uh, if you found me through this way, welcome. Um, I'm going to have quite a bit of uh, uh, things to talk about before I get to the interview, so hang tight. Uh, I, I'm going to put a, a timestamp in the notes uh, t- so you can fast forward if you'd like, but um, there's some good reasons why I haven't uh, uh, put up an episode for a few weeks now, almost a month. Um, so the week that I put out the podcast with, uh, with Jonah... I have uh, started a job, and I think, I don't know how public I I made this, but um, throughout the summer, I, um, I mean, we're going to get a little personal here, but uh, in June, I had left my my job, um, my full-time job, due to mental health reasons and generally just not being in a good good fit in, in the job, so like, well... I'm going to, um, I'm going to leave this job before they fire me. <laughs> it, leave, leave before they get to me first, right? That, that that was the play. But then I was um, out of a job for five months, and it was a pretty rough five months. So of course I was doing the podcast, I was uh, making music, but I was easily applying for jobs. Um, oh my gosh, like fifty a week. So, um, my hard drive is just littered with, uh, resumes, but I, I finally got, I finally got, got a job. <laughs> so uh, I was within about two weeks worth of losing like every bit of uh, cash that I had. Um, but luckily this, this, this job came through before completely like losing it all. Uh, and I'm, and I'm not. You know, there, there's no hyperbole there, so I, I didn't talk much about um, the issue at hand. You know, I, I put it out there that I was accepting donations or for for singles I put out, or if, if you all liked the podcast. You know, I, I have put uh, links out there for you know donating one way or another. But um, I mean, I don't know if it's pride or anything like that that kept me from uh telling y'all what was what was really going on but it was it was a struggle and but now that i that have the have the job <laughs> and you know one paycheck has come in you know I, i'm still um struggling a little bit so as, as far as now now that i have the job as far as like the anxiety and and not really having a lot of time overworking um all of that's coming back into play so that's a big reason why I, I have not um, put out any more uh, content. So, but the it was it was nagging me that I put out this part one of my amazing interview with Jonah Matranga uh, from far and in, in one line drawing that um, that had so much amazing information and getting his point of view. And I had this part two, and I just had not gotten it out. Uh, so I was feeling a lot of guilt about that. So right now it's 9.48. Um, all the children have gone to bed. 
um, snuck up here before I, I go to sleep so I can um, have a work week next week. Um, so I just really, really wanted to get, get this out. So for you all have been with me every single step of the way, I just want to say thank you um, for, for being patient with me and supporting me. I mean, I mean so another cool thing is Spotify had uh, the wrapped, right? Like as far as like the top um, songs you listen to or artists you listen to. But several of you have reached out um, to tell me that I have made like your top five podcast list. And that made me really, really happy. It's, you know, it's been a really, really rough year in, in a lot of ways. But the fact that, you know, you know, some of you have taken to the podcast and supported it and, um, you know, whether it be monetarily or just with your time, uh, these aren't small podcasts whatsoever. Some, there's one that was close to two hours. There's, they're, they're generally about an hour. Um, so the fact that you guys have listened and have shared that with me, it's made a lot of, a lot of it worth, a lot of this worth it. And, um, has encouraged me to keep going because there are times where I do uh, struggle with discouragement and there's been times in my life where I have quit uh, either playing music or, or other things. Um, so that encouragement is, is encouraging me to keep going. But and another thing I wanted to mention about doing this podcast is that I started this like literally two weeks before COVID hit. And what this podcast has meant to me through times where I felt really discouraged with work or not sure how the world <laughs> was going to be, um, or whether or not if I was going to die or not <laughs> of COVID or anything like that. But it really gave me um, a reason and something to look forward to. to it was the times I've had the guests, my guests on were probably the only times through the week that I actually spoke to anyone else other than my family or coworkers. So it helped alleviate a lot of loneliness too. And so now I have about you know close to 30 episodes of me having great conversations and and, and gaining deeper relationships with the people I've had on. So it's a pretty emotional thing for me. Um, you know, um, just having this be a part of, part of my life. And so not to say that <laughs> I'm not going to do it anymore. Um, but under, understanding that I'll be, I'm going to be taking a break, um, in, to kind of capstone, uh, Put, put in, putting an end to a, an era of, of my life. And this is, I feel like this is a, a great way to do it. Um, but that, that leads me to another announcement um, that I, I'm sure y'all have heard me talk about being in, in Nashville and, and living here. But um, next year I am moving back to Utah. Um, so it's something I haven't really announced a lot on social media, maybe like Twitter, but that's about it. So the, the special few of you that, um, that listen to this, you, now, you know, um, that I'll be back, I think at least at the very latest, the beginning of April, is this a part of the job? Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, yes, but either way, it's kind of forcing my hand to move, to do the thing that I've really wanted to do in the, in, you know, quite a while ago. So, uh, when COVID hit, it, it really puts your, 
I don't know. It, it just makes you think about what you really want. And I just really want to be back home because uh, <laughs> being away from home during during all this was, has been hard. And, you know, I haven't really taken to Nashville. It's not my kind of city. Um, but there's a lot. Of, there are a lot of great people here and I still have friends here. But um, it's time. So uh, I will be moving. So that means uh, the pot of never will probably have to go on a hiatus until I get my stuff together. And, um, and that probably means um, uh, putting out Swans and Ever music is going to have to be put on hold. But that's all, all that is to say that I do have big plans for 2021. So I'm not stopping anytime soon, but it's going to be pretty difficult to be recording um, you know, full-fledged songs. So that's not to say I'll, I'll be putting things up on like Bandcamp of more like uh, raw uh, demos or anything like that. But uh, yeah crazy 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 year and so what i what i want to do before i get to the the jonah interview is i want to play one last brand new single that i have that's going to be out on spotify this week it's already up on Bandcamp, but um if, if you haven't heard it i want to play it for you so this song is called Res- reservations for the end of the world uh, i wrote it like two weeks before the election and there are a lot of allusions to um, to global warming, uh, but it's like a love. It's a sweet uh, kind of sensual <laughs> love love pop punk song. So um, it was a lot of fun to record, uh, a lot of fun to write. I, I wrote it pretty quickly, and, and I wrote it thinking that like. Trump was going to win <laughs> so it was it's my way of being kind of uh, um, kind of negative about the future of the world but at the same time um, what would it be like if if you fell in love with someone and the ocean's rising and there's smog everywhere but what, what are you going to do about it you know it, sometimes locking yourself in a room with the one you love is what you got to do so what that's what the song is about so I'm going to play that song for you and then we're going to get to part two of my amazing interview with Jonah Matranga. Um, we're compared to part one, we're getting a lot more technical about recording uh, and writing songs. So if that interests you, this is, this is it. This is it. Uh, this is an, if, if there's one episode to kind of go out on a bang with until, you know, I kind of get my, uh, my shit together. This is the one. So, um, so this is reservations for the end of the world, and then we're going to get to the interview with Jonah Matrenga, part two. And uh, and before I get to that again, I just want to say thank you so much if you've listened at all um, in the past or this is your first time. Uh, I hope that you subscribe so you can. Um, listen to me when, when I come back. I have a ton of episodes for you to check out. Uh, if this is your first time, uh, please download um, and listen to the episodes. You're going to meet a lot of great people, a lot of great musicians, a lot of great uh, creatives, and, um, and I hope you stick around. So you can follow me on Spotify at uh, Swans and Never, um, Swans and Never at uh, Bandcamp.com. It's swansonever.bandcamp.com. Let me be, be clear about that. You can listen to a lot of demos there. You can listen to everything I've ever done. And if you are uh, if you want to support 
in any way, shape, or form. You can pay what you want there. Um, and also, uh, I have a PayPal link in the show notes if you feel like donating to the show uh, or to any of my uh, musical endeavors please do so uh, like I said lots 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 of big plans for 2021 so I will be back as you know just but now but for now I just gonna I need a break to uh, wrap up things in Nashville and, and get moving out to back out to Utah so um, again thank you so much <laughs> No way we're going.
now oh, okay. so you cool. you mentioned before how the first thing the first thing you really got into is four track yes um and i remember so i remember hearing guided by voices for the first time when i was a little bit younger and that's like very very dirty yeah <laughs> but but then you know i i hear visitor and the sketchy EPs, and it's like oh wait this is home recording and so it right. sounded a little bit uh, different as far as like what my experience for with a four track or whatever, because I did have a small four track too, but I just kind of didn't know what to do with it. And so, and you've, you've had a lot of yeah. experiences that we touched on before, as far as like working with major label budgets and studios and yeah. the best of the best. And then you doing your um, in-home work. So how has that evolved for you and uh, how are you doing your work now? I mean, yeah, so growing up, it was the Tascam 4-track, mm-hmm. and then I had a, a Sensui 6-track, which is a weird little device that I kind of wish I'd saved, because, like, home recording enthusiasts, like, kind of, it's like the holy grail now. It was a very, un, like, not popular one. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, there was a, the sketches were largely recorded on a, Korg Digital 8-track, which is sort of in between what we have now and the 4-track cassette-based things of the past, Mm -hmm. um, that I literally never owned. I just uh, did a thing that we would call borrowing it from Guitar Center, where I would, you know, kept it for 30 days and then returned it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I know that trick. (laughs) So that was the Korg Digital 8-track. But... Yeah, so since then, basically since we got to like laptop recording, it is of course still home recording, but it's such a different game than cassettes. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. Visitor in particular is a very, very ambitious home. It is solely recorded in different homes. There is no, yeah, that's true. No, there's no studios involved um, at all, ever. And um, And the Volunteers is actually mostly home recording as well, but Eventually, a couple studios got involved. Um, so, it's, yeah, the back in the day, and, you know, what Guided by Voice is doing, I think, also was a kind of a consciously noisy, hissy affair, which is wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. And and I love that stuff. And I, yeah, I just, um, to me, like, the best home recording sounding, and I think he did actually do this, at home, um, but I'm not totally sure. Is uh, is Elliot Smith either or? Um, okay, yeah. That just has that four track vibe. I really don't know how he made it, but it really captures what I've always loved about that. And um, yeah, those days, in some ways, are gone. Sometimes I think about challenging myself to just um, to just make a record 
with those rules. Um, mm. But even things like bouncing tracks, like when you had to bounce a track before, you got an extra layer of hiss, and now you don't really get that. Like if you you can do that digitally, and really it would take a long time to have any artifacts, I would imagine. Um, mm. Whereas on cassette, it was a different game. So there's a different sense of consequence and a different sense of limitation. Mm -hmm. And I love limitations. I love mm -hmm. working within them. I love the whole, uh, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention right, phrase, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Um, so I love doing that stuff. And that's one thing I love about home recording. And then, but even on this new record, which is actually going to sound quite fancy, all of the vocals were recorded in my living room. Um, mm -hmm. And then I sent them to someone with a better rig and they, again, this is digital land, so they can kind of build it into their world and all this stuff can happen now. But I still do love the idea. And I think there is just a different feeling to a vocal I sing in the afternoon when I feel like it uh, from a vocal in a studio where I'm paying for it by the hour kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I'm not saying one is better or worse, um, but there's definitely a difference. And I think one thing that I'm kind of sad about these days is that, is that in some ways that lo-fi hissy thing is a thing of the past. I kind of hear people going for it consciously in some ways, but um, I feel like a lot of people, my daughter included, who's curious about music, really want things to sound like incredibly pro because um, yeah. that's what we're used to hearing um is these very slick and i'm not saying these things are bad by the way like you know but but time corrected pitch corrected um you know endless effects kind of vibes and yeah there's just a different i think expectation from young musicians um as to mm -hmm. what they're supposed to be able to do and um so yeah what i love about home recording though is the mistakes it is the casual part it's the voice cracks it's the not worrying too much about it. Um, it's the just kind of being in the situation you are and, and, and letting the song be dictated by that, really, and, and mm -hmm. enjoying that and enjoying the idea that a song could be recorded once on a, you know, on a little four track and then again on like a big multi-track rig in a studio and neither version is better or worse. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's songs like 14 to 41 that started out I think I did make that on a four track, actually a cassette four track. Uh, and then, and that was a little mean, a guitar version, like super hissy and weird. That was a cassette only release right as far was breaking up. Um, and then the sketchy one version of it is the core digital eight track version of it. And then of course it was on thriller, you know, so it's, and mm. all three couldn't really sound more different but it's all the same tune. So mm -hmm. I think my main thing that I'm kind of circling around is that like home recording is a great place to experiment with songs and it doesn't have to be the final version of a song. It's, mm -hmm. and it can be a version of the song that is eternal, no matter what other versions come after that. It's a moment in time. Mm -hmm. And I think home recording, I think that might be the special thing about it is that it, it's about, the memory of making the song as much as it is about the song. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I, I personally struggle with is figuring out when something is done. Cause I'm mm -hmm. always hearing, 
say if I play my own songs in the car, I'm like, oh my gosh, the guitars are battling with the cymbals too much. Yep. Ah, what yep. the crap? Yep. Yep. Then yep. I go on this, you know, YouTube rabbit hole, like tutorials and things like that. Yeah. Do you, how do you, a, I don't do any of that. <laughs> okay. That, that, that's an, okay. So what, so in my mind, like yeah. what I would do if I was in these situations, like working with producers and stuff, I would try to pick up whatever I can from them and try to, yes. try to incorporate it. Have you ever done that? Because you're just saying like you don't really go down that rabbit hole to really all like, the pick time. Yeah. I mean, so like what's so, yeah? Like how do you construct that then? Like what's your philosophy? Yeah, I mean, technically speaking, I. I just, the, one of the main reasons I work with Jeremy on this new record is because he is the guy that goes down YouTube rabbit holes and figures out vocal EQ versus the guitars and how to place it and how to really get it right and everything you're talking about. I admire so deeply that level of studio craft, that engineering craft. I think engineering is uh, just a, an astonishing art that I, that um, I, so deeply admire and it has never been my thing i'm more of a person the quicker i can set up the mic and get a decent signal going and just get to the song making part of it the better mm -hmm. um yeah. and therefore i don't tend when i'm recording at home to mess with too many tracks because those things you're talking about are real when the symbols overtake the mix and what to do those are very real issues and mm -hmm. that is a thing i have chosen to not engage with myself because it drives me kind of batty and it ends up feeling just not really fun. Um, mm. And an axiom that I kind of live my life by is be serious enough to have fun. And, and I, which essentially just means that it's not about fun. Like, um, I don't know, like most people I think of, think of fun as something kind of distracting from everyday life or from the important things in life. And I think fun is the important thing in life. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't say fun in a blase way, but I do want what I'm doing to not just be about, okay, this is going to be beautiful after six days of torture. Like I want it to be fun the whole way through. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, fun can mean totally committed and not like not really thinking about meals and sleeping and showering and stuff. Like that <laughs> can be really fun and powerful and passionate. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to be clear on that. And I definitely do that a lot. But I, what I don't tend to do is the thing of trying to mix a bunch of tracks together because I have tried that in the past and it has just not been satisfying. And frankly, I don't think I've made things that are that good. Um, that's the other thing too, is that I'm just humble about that. If I can't mm -hmm. seem to do a thing the way I want to hear it in my head, I just, I, I use that as a limitation and go, okay, that's not really a place that I'm ready to go these days. Like, so I'm going to go do this. And um, more and more what that looks like for me is I just worry about the guitar and the vocal and even the guitar can be replaced. I mainly just worry about the vocal and I kind of let other people worry about other stuff. I will do a demo like with Jeremy for the new album. I had demos that were sitting around for, for years. Some of them mm -hmm. that were, that got to that exact place you're talking about where I got enough sounds involved mm -hmm. that I started getting overwhelmed. And so I put it away and what you said about it never being done, the not to be too like zen about it, but for me, 
it's never done and it's always done. Mm -hmm. um, there, there is no, I don't have one song of mine, even the ones I adore, that I think truly that is the best this song will ever sound. I can listen to Water and Solutions or Thriller or any number of records through my life or Gratitude or mm -hmm. um, whether they're, or the sketches, of course, whether they're made fancy or not, and think that's, you know, that's it. I think there's some songs that I'm like, there's really not a need to re-record this song. Like, I don't really think it warrants a kind of another big look. And so I really, I think of a song like, uh, I don't know, Laugh, Fall, or The Road off Sketchy. It's a beautiful tune. It's really sparse and sad and weird. And I really love it. So it's not that I don't think it's good, but it's, it is tough to imagine it, to imagine going back to it and really trying to rip it apart and see what else I could do with it. Uh, it mm -hmm. just sort of, so maybe I do think that one's done, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, but almost anything else I can think of is there's always room for another pass. And the yeah. trick for me, and this is where back to the suck again, is letting it be done as is. Um, when I made the sketch EP, those, that, those were literally demos. They were demos to send to producers and labels to try and make fancier versions of those songs. Mm -hmm. And then I was talking with people on my website and saying, what should I do? And, and they're like, we, why don't you just let us hear them? And I thought, oh. And then, <laughs> uh, and then a show came up. I got offered a festival thing in Germany. And it kind of forced my hand. I was like, I want mm -hmm. to bring something new because I've always had a rule as an artist that don't play a show if I don't have something with me to give or sell or whatever for people to remember me by. Um, mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, ideally that's a piece of music. Um, yeah. And so at that time I was going to play this big festival. I was like, shit, man, I got to bring something. And I literally had nothing. I had, you know, I had, I didn't have copies of far records and I didn't have anything new. So I just took these demos and burned them onto a disc literally at the Sony Germany uh, <laughs> offices because uh -huh. they had CD burners in the offices to make their, their demos that they would, you know, or their promo copies they would send out and right. stuff. And I still had friends there. I wasn't on Sony anymore, but I still had friends that worked at Sony in Germany. So mm -hmm. I went over there and I think burned 50, CDs and used their Xerox machines uh, and their little black sleeves that they would send out promos in to make um, the the packaging, as yeah. it were. Uh, and that was it. And then the, and that's Sketchy One. You know, that's the first pressing of Sketchy One. Yeah. Um, and I, a lot of artists that I know would never ever do that ever. They wouldn't release their demos. They certainly wouldn't burn them and you know, really, they just wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm not saying that they're uh, wrong for not wanting to do that. I don't know. But I'm the person who loves doing what I can with what I've got and calling that done for the moment. Mm -hmm. um, Sketchy One, I think it's had four or five different pressings. There was that first pressing of 50. I think I did another homemade batch when I got home. Um, Crank put it out. And I think there's a couple other things in between there too, sort of along yeah. the way. 
and sketchy too, the same thing. There's, I, um, there's a few different copies of it and all of them are very dear to me in their own way. Cause they all remind me of a different time. And, um, but it's the opposite of, I think most artists want to do, which is to make the definitive version of the song mm -hmm. and the definitive release of it and really make sure it's perfect. I, that making sure it's perfect part is I think the, a thing that I threw out a long time ago because I rejected the idea of perfect. Mm -hmm. And so that has kind of led me since then. I'm so, and that's why the never done, always done thing is, was where is where I'm at. Um, yeah. So yeah, but it, it's, um, it's a very strange thing that as far as I can tell is mostly about intuition and necessity for me. Yeah. And I think yeah. as a fan too, where you, certain artists still release like deluxe edition records mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. it's like, here's the demo, and right, you right, right. like two, two or three different versions of it. And as a fan and also as a musician, where you think that there's this idealized version of a song, like, okay, that's it. Like when it's, when it comes time to making your own music, at least speaking for myself, it's. Oh, this has to be done now since I've had like three or four passes of what I think right. this sh song right. should be. So I think yep. in, especially in, in this era where there's home recording where you can do as much as you can and as much as you like, that might be an interesting way to do things. And it could be interesting for people to hear too. Um, we have the, I mean, yeah, there's a neat thing right now. There's a new song on that. There's a song that's going to be on the new record called don't give up. Mm -hmm. And it, I recorded the first version of this several years ago at this point, and it was, I believe, entirely made on my iPhone. Um, I recorded a little finger-picked guitar part and uh, sang the vocal into the phone and then used GarageBand loops, I think, for the drums and the keyboards and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I liked the vibe when it came out. It was sweet. But again, I was really only thinking of it for myself. It was just me just messing around with the tune. And I sent it to my buddy, Matt Nathanson, um, who's a wonderful songwriter and artist in his own right. And he wrote back, this sounds done to me. You should just, you should just put this up on Spotify, which is a very exciting thing about these days is that mm -hmm. that's possible. Yeah. And so I just... There's something about the way he said it and his vote of confidence that really inspired me. And I wasn't planning to release a record anytime soon or anything, but I thought, why the fuck not? Like, let's just put this demo up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I spread it around a little bit, but I didn't try and promote it. I didn't try and sell it. I just, I just put it there. And as it happens, I'm pretty sure that of my solo stuff, I think that version of that song on Spotify is the thing I have with the most streams mm -hmm. um, because someone found it and put it on some playlist and it got a bunch of streams. So for a lot of people who, who you know, to whatever degree they heard that song in whatever right. context they were listening to it, that's the definitive version of that song. So when this version comes out, they're going to be like, what the fuck is this? Like, um, <laughs> and it's not that different, but it is pretty different. There's no drums. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's not different in the sense that the lyrics didn't change, the structure didn't change, the melodies didn't change, but the approach and the production level is, is night and day. And mm -hmm. I, part of me wants to take down the old demo now, but I'm like, nah, fuck it. Like, let that one, yeah. 
keep doing its thing. Someone's probably really into that version. And, and a kind of a neat thing about where we are these days is that I could literally upload a whole record uh, with songs sounding a certain way to Spotify or wherever, to all the streaming services. Mm-hmm. And because they're the only game in town, I'm in control of when the world hears my music or not. Now, no one has to listen to it, of course. Even if it's up there, it can just exist with no one listening to it. But it's there. But even if a bunch of people do listen to it, I get to decide at any moment I could take the whole record down and upload an entirely different version of that record. Mm -hmm. All the same songs, all the same everything. It could be slightly different mixes. It could be wildly different mixes. And the people who cared would care, but no one would really know the difference. So um, it's really kind of crazy making these days with like nothing really needs to be done, especially if you don't have a big audience that's counting on it. Um, And I think that's the important thing to remember. I think one sort of related to Zen of suck uh, nugget of would be wisdom that I often give to people struggling with, I don't know whether it's stage fright or being worried about people liking what they release or what they're at least being done or good or whatever it is is, and it sounds really blunt and maybe not that nice, but it, I think it's really freeing and liberating. And it just basically, like, breathe into the fact that no one really gives a shit. Like, <laughs> it's it's like, liberating, though. It is. <laughs> it's so wonderful because if I'm not then worried about impressing people or whatever validation parts I have attached to, is this okay? Am I okay? Um if I really understand that everyone in an audience on a given night, I know that, you know, they're there to see me and that's beautiful. And I take that very seriously, but they've got their own lives. They've got their own worries. They've got their own struggles and victories and uh, their own music they're working on. And so while I might be a priority for them in some ways in that moment, I'm not really a priority for them. They're a priority for them and I'm Mm -hmm. a priority for me. And, and once that kind of, that real sense of not worrying about what other people think is, is really settled in the body, I think a lot, a lot more creativity can move. I really just do think of so much, ah, this whole idea of, of people liking it, it just stifles so much creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's funny that you bring up nothing's ever really done and taking things down. I did some home recordings with my band in Salt Lake before I moved out to Nashville. And I feel like in those two years, I've put up maybe eight different mixes, <laughs> like taken down, take, put, put back exactly. up. That so, sort so of, you know, yeah. So, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But like, I think like, cause like I know my data and my stats as far as like, who's listening right. to what. And, and I'm like, Okay, yeah, no one really I don't think anyone would miss right. this for a week or a week or two. <laughs> no, no. It's just <laughs> so that like, humility. It's that humility. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's taken a a, a long time to get there, but like I was like, of wait course. a second. Yep. Like I could like this more at least, and that and that matters to me, you know, as far I as mean, my honestly, own selfishness with, and but with uh, this record, I really after all uh, I was working with Jeremy and Norman and a lot of people on this record and um and Jeremy mostly was because mm-hmm. he's the mixer and the producer and I we were going back and forth about the mixes in the end and um and then even the mastering and stuff like that with my friend Will, who's another longtime friend who's mastered all of my music for going back, I think 
I, f- I forget which is the first thing he did, but a long time now. Mm-hmm. And, but in the end, it was just me sitting with the music. And, and in the end, it's my album. And they all, you know, and they all say as much. They're all like, they're happy to talk with me about it, but inevitably it comes down to, you've got to decide what, what you like. And, mm-hmm. and this record, more than anything I've released in a long time, is something that I do want to get just right. Mm-hmm. I really, I've worked harder on this record than I've ever worked on a solo record. Yeah. Um, Visitor and Volunteers were very serious things. I loved them so much. I love all the stuff I make, like, and I do work very, very hard on all of it in its own way. But this is definitely the one that I've listened to over and over and over and over again. And I keep going back to your cymbals thing because it's such a common thing of like, is the vocal sitting right? Is, is, you know, and listening on different headphones. I mean, just endless. But it wasn't torturous for me. It was fun. I just decided to really enjoy the process of being with this idea of what is done when it comes to this thing that has so many moving parts, more moving parts again than any solo record I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in some ways, more hi-fi sonicness than any record I've ever made, period. I'm not going to say it sounds like better than Water and Solutions because I really love the way that record sounds. Um, it's a great sounding record for sure. Yeah, and I mean, and to your point about learning stuff from producers, I do want to circle back to that too. Um, but yeah, so basically, like this is a very ambitious record sonically. So I am going through a lot of the things you're talking about. And this one I would like to upload once and be done with it and hope that people care enough that people want to hold on to this version of the record. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I'm getting all the stems from Jeremy and I may well release an acoustic version of this record or a wildly remixed version of this record later, yeah. but it won't replace the record. It'll just be right. a whole other artistic statement. Yeah. Um, but so I've really been going through it. Now, in terms of what your and yeah i've been going through it and ultimately the last guide is am i happy with this and i keep going back to this thing of like i have no idea what people are going to think of this record um and i've got to remind myself of that all the time i have no control over that so all i want is that when i put it on in my headphones if i want to uh just walk around and listen to some music i just want to love it Mm. i want to listen to the whole record without one little kind of hitch in my step, you know, and, and I can't control if that ever happens for anyone else, but that's why it's so valuable that it at least happens for me. Um, I go back to this thing Prince said in an interview once, someone asked him, you know, what are you listening to lately? Which is such a common interview question, you know, what are your, and, and Prince just said, when I want to hear something funky, I write it. And (laughs) yeah. And, you know, and that's such a perfectly Prince thing to say. And it is a little bit like me, too. Like, I don't listen to my music all the time or anything. I I like listening to lots of other people's music as well. But especially when I'm in the process of making a record, I will listen to what I'm working on over and over and over. And even when it's done, like, Mm. the record is done now. As far as I'm pretty committed to not making other changes. Um, And I've been listening to it a lot and not to critique it and not to yeah. fix it, but just to enjoy it. Like I made it, you know, I yeah. try, I try and really get back to that five-year-old feeling of when you make a drawing and you show it to your parents or something and you go, look what I made. Yeah. And that's the intention with which I try to release stuff into the world mm-hmm. is that innocent. I made this, I love it. 
you know, but I love it isn't I think it's the best thing in the world. It's I love it. Yeah. And and that's all I want to get to. Um, but yeah, and, and in terms of, you know, you asked about producers and lessons from them. So I have not internalized things like how to make the cymbals and vocals sit right in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, what I have internalized, it's mostly as a singer, honestly. I've internalized a lot about um, if I'm singing a melody and uh, I want to make sure I'm not sort of sharp or flat or kind of like being lazy about it. Brad Wood, who produced Tin Cans of Strings to You, he had set up a, a little keyboard right next to me in the vocal space. Mm-hmm. And before I sang a verse, I would, and I'm not a keyboard player or piano player by any stretch, so, but I would plunk out the melody that I was going to sing mm-hmm. really clumsily. Um, and so that I would go right into the take with a real sense of, the, the actual melody that I had written in my head, not the kind of like sloppy take on it that I might sing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helped me ground me in the melody. And then Sardi, who did Water and Solutions, on a similar level, when I was doing vocals, he would, a lot of times he would say, you're trying too hard to, uh, like, emote the lyric. Mm-hmm. He's like, trust what you wrote, trust the melody you wrote, trust the words you wrote, and just sing them. Yeah. And don't overthink it. Yeah, definitely don't overthink it, but don't over deliver it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, sort of like, I don't know, the first lyric of Barry White comes to mind. Like, it could, you know, I sing a lot of that record pretty mellow, actually. I mean, there's screamy stuff on it and stuff, but mm-hmm. if you'll listen to it, especially really hear and Barry White come to mind. Um, well, no, but all of it, actually. Um, the soft stuff is really me singing it real normal, just like, mm-hmm. to resurrect yourselves. And it doesn't feel dramatic coming out, yeah. but there's a, an understated power to it paired with the music. So, And I could, I could have sung it, to resurrect yourselves, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know? And I'm not making mm-hmm. fun of anyone, I swear, you know? And, like, and I've done my share of affected vocals, too, and that's fine. And And you know, and phrasing is phrasing. And I, again, it's not about anything being better or worse. It's about really doing what feels right to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but what Sardi said about that, it caught, it definitely, the, the effect on my singing was to really sing in a more relaxed way and mm-hmm. trust what I had written and trust that it was going to have the impact I wanted it to have. And in some ways would have more of an impact if I didn't try and like say, look how impactful this is yeah. in my delivery. Um, yeah. And so those two things really changed my life as a vocalist, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, I, there's tons of technical things, especially that Sardi did, because I was really watching him and his engineers work, that blew my mind. Tons of stuff with, you know, a close mic, but then a room mic over here, and they'd bring it in for different parts. And I was mesmerized by it, but it just is not the kind of thing that I've ever taken the time to try and recreate. I suppose the most I've ever done is put a vocal mic over, you know, right next to me and a vocal mic in the corner. Mm-hmm. And then I'll listen and I'll, you know, do, but I'll usually mostly end up just using a reverb in the end. Because I can't make it sound like whatever they did. Um, and I don't want to try it because yeah. that's what they did and they're masters and I'm not. So yeah, um, all we've got is our little 
tin tin can rooms, you know. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and and I've got my own little tin can it. brain. I can do, you know, I can do what I can do with it. And there's other stuff that is just a little bit, you know, beyond my scope. And again, it just comes back to humility. And it's not that I don't like learning new things, but I have to say I do have a a pretty strict thing of when I'm learning new software or learning a song or recording mm-hmm. a song where I call it my exertion to experience ratio. And I, I it's it can apply to anything from taking a trip to going on a walk to recording a song. And it's like, I just want there to be a relative amount of beauty and joy and fun to the amount of effort that I'm putting into it. Yeah. Um, and if, and if the effort part gets too out of whack, then I, I lose interest. Um, yeah, yeah I'm very and, much uh, the same way. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah? so, so okay. as, as far as like my own re- like recording, I usually do my recording like later on at night, which mm-hmm. has, uh, you know, if, if I'm trying to do a little too much work where I'm getting a little bit more tired, then if it's, if nothing's happening, I just screw it. I, I go yeah. watch yeah. something instead. Yep. Like I yep. try to ride the wave, but as soon as like yeah. even plugging in a cord seems a little too arduous for me, I'm just like, yeah, that ah, screw it. Can't force it. Um, yeah. Yeah. One, one last thing I want to talk about is, um, yeah, yeah. You've done a few Kickstarters, especially on this new record. Uh, yeah. Like, so how many have you done? I, I thought I remember like at least two or three, including this one. It's several now. I mean, there's yeah. this one. I did the Water and Solutions 20th anniversary via Kickstarter. Right. I did the book via Kickstarter. I did my last solo record in 2014 via Kickstarter. I did a covers record called Voices in Dedication mm-hmm. by Kickstarter. And that was back in 2010 or 11. Um, and I've done, and I think I did the Eyes Another record by Kickstarter. That was actually one that I started on Indiegogo. And for mm-hmm. whatever reason, I wasn't enjoying the platform as much. So I ditched it and restarted it basically yeah. on Kickstarter because it just, the platform, again, the platform made more sense to me. Mm-hmm. And there was an intuitive feel and it seemed like for whatever reason, people were connecting with it more on the Kickstarter platform than they were on the Indiegogo platform. I have no mm-hmm. idea why, but I don't really overthink that stuff. I'm just like, yeah, I'll just switch it. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been, I mean, and that's a case of where I've always kind of done my, I mean, since I left FAR, in one way or another, my records have been kind of made in a crowdfunded way, even if without an official platform. Mm-hmm. But as much as I like doing it all myself and having my own website and, and, and I adore that, um, as we were talking about Kickstarter, I just had to concede had made a platform that was really attractive and intuitive for a lot of people. And it was a little bit like an engineering thing. Like I admired what they'd done. I wasn't going to be able to pull it off without putting way too much, way more effort into it than I wanted to basically. Mm-hmm. So I thought, nah, I'm just going to go with this, this entity. They're doing a, they're doing a good thing. They're not charging too much for it. Um, and, and it just seems to work and it made my life simpler. So yeah. I just went with it and then I stuck with it because I thought uh, like, I'm humble enough where it's like, if I don't have a better idea, I'm just going to use what's there. Um, yeah. and but with Patreon, for instance, while I guess I don't know what I missed out on with Patreon, 
And also Kickstarters are one-off things. Mm -hmm. You do it once and then you're not beholden to the platform after that. Yeah. And you can come back to it later for another project or not. It doesn't, but your life doesn't exist there. Just that one little moment in time exists. Mm -hmm. Whereas Patreon, it's more of an ongoing thing. And so I start to worry about if I, if my whole crew is with me via Patreon and then Patreon goes under. Yeah. Then, kind of like we're talking about before with MySpace. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah like it's a little more to that social networking place. So that's why I did a DIY version of Patreon via my website mm -hmm. where people can support me in a simple monthly way like you were talking about and have access to all this music and, and they can, you know, if they have more money, they can give me more and I'll give them literally everything I make for free. Um, there's a level where I will write songs with them and produce songs with them. Mm -hmm. There's a level where I'll like visit their house every year and sing it, it. I, I basically did all the thing that I, all the things that I saw people doing on Patreon. And I think some things that people weren't doing on Patreon, mm -hmm. um, but I really wanted that all under my own roof um, for various reasons, but mostly because when it comes to being with people, so we're, a lot of what we've been talking about is like the art itself and making the art. Mm -hmm. And I have this thing that might sound weird, but I want every step of the way, the marketing, the mailing, the interaction with people, I consider all of that to be part of the art as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to slip into this other place that feels a little bit more laborious to me. Mm -hmm. So, for, like, for instance, I mail out uh, all my own orders when people order from me. Mm -hmm. It's it, um, all books, all, you know, I mean, I, but, but no, no, but actually that's not true now because things shifted. Um, but I love the mailing out. I love that process. There's nothing more satisfying than getting an order from someone for a book in fucking England or something like that mm -hmm. and folding it up and putting it, you know, in a little envelope and, and shipping it to them. It just, it's so satisfying to me that someone wanted what I did and wanted to give me money for it. And so the whole interaction is part of it for me. Um, and I adore that. And that's one thing that I love about the website right now is I'm just really back to a, a sort of a me and anyone who gives a shit about the music space. You know, it just, it doesn't have to be anything else but that. Um, now, again, sort of like Kickstarter, there's a company called Threadless who does kind of made to order shirts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so many people over the years have asked for so many different shirt designs and my, I don't have much space in my apartment. Um, and it got to a point where I started having like lots of little, you know, a few smalls and mediums of this batch of shirts. And then this other, like, it was just getting a lot for my brain. And I just thought if I just kind of suck it up and go over to Threadless, then I can have all the designs ever to want. And they just sit there and whenever someone wants them and I don't make nearly as much per shirt or anything like that. You know, that's mm -hmm. another thing about doing it oneself is that I'm very into the idea of sweat equity. You know, it's like, if I do all the work, then I make more money when I sell a book. Um, whereas if I, if I were with a publishing company, a book publishing company, I might sell more books. I would certainly have less work in my life yeah. and do less math and, and fill out less orders. But if I'm realistic about the amount of books I'm going to sell, then I want to make as much money per book sold, which basically means the more work I do, the more money I make. And yeah. um, 
So I, but I did forego that with Threadless because I decided with T-shirts that they started being too much of a grind on my brain, just keeping the inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that I'm selling that many T-shirts, by the way, but I think that was the point. Is it like I, it was just just enough to kind of be a pain in the ass, and so I just let go of it, and I let the T-shirt part turn into a different thing, and it's been really satisfying. It's been really sweet you know i'll just get a little email saying hey you sold the shirt and i won't have to do shit (laughs) and it's it's really nice um so ironically that's the way most people do it but that still feels foreign to me but it is nice to embrace and kickstarter and threadless are the two things that i've decided at least for now they're doing it better than i could do it like based on what i want so good on them yeah and in in turn of doing Kickstarter so much because I think the the common um, the com- the common wisdom is like well at least from what I've heard is like you don't want to do too many Kickstarters you're gonna burn out yeah. people but then you're yeah. the you're the exception to that quote unquote rule and so yeah. what's your response to that to especially since you've things. done <laughs> since you've done so many and in your last record is has been so successful on the platform. So how do you make that sure. not feel a as transactional and why do you think it's working for you? I mean, yeah, the, again, the, whether anyone else experiences the way I do it as like, I'm honestly, the fact that I have a paywall on my site to get to a bunch of the music and content, just about all the common wisdom of the internet for the past gazillion years would say, do not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I understand that. It's, it's totally fair. And I just, it all comes back to just me not being worried about what my value is to someone else, mm-hmm. but rather me deciding what my value is. Yeah. Um, and so whatever someone else's perception of it is, I really, I can't be, I, 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 the more concerned I am with that stuff, the less happy I am. That's all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to Kickstarter, I mean, I guess people would let me know, right? You know, yeah. after the third Kickstarter, like if the next one totally stiff, they'd be like, oh, I guess I can't do Kickstarters <laughs> anymore or whatever. You Fair know? enough. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, so all I can say about that, honestly, is to anyone who who sticks with me uh, is just – the biggest thank you ever because I do seem to in some ways operate by different rules than a lot of artists that I know of. And I exist in a really strange space where I've had these flirtations with the mainstream enough that people are surprised, for instance, when they get an order and it's actually sent physically from me, Mm -hmm. they, they figure that I've got a, you know, a, a team of, I don't know, manufacturing and marketing people. I don't know yeah. what they think, but, or when they write to me and I write back to them personally, they, I have so many people say, is this really Jonah? You know, kind of thing. And it's just, it's very interesting to me because I wonder like, well, what other, what are other people doing? It's just yeah. the way I've done it. But yeah, so I don't know. I'm just, I guess I'm just happy that it keeps working, but yeah. if it didn't, then I also feel very happy knowing that I'd figure something else out yeah. um, because a, 
I have, I have developed a pretty deep faith, honestly, in at least a small crew of people in this world who really, really love what I do and how I do it. And um, I think one, if there was an artist out there that was wondering if they were just too weird for the world or whatever, I would just remind everyone of all the billions of people there are in the world. And if, if, if there's, you know, whatever, 300 million plus people in America, this is just America. And, you know, and I make 2000 books. I just feel like the math, you know, as long as I do my due diligence and I've made something at all worthwhile, I feel like you can find a couple thousand people out of 300 million, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, that will give Your me 20 bucks for a book, you know, <laughs> like, and I just try and see it that way that the world is bigger than I could ever possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. So if I keep putting out stuff that I'm proud of, um, that, and I, and I spend as little time worrying about how popular it's going to be as possible. I do have a deep faith and it's been borne out again, as you say, over all these projects that someone's going to give a shit and come along and give a shit and like the way I'm doing it. And so there is, um, yeah, there, and look, I'm scared every time, honestly, like I'm scared every time when I start one, exactly that inner voice you talked about. I mean, RuPaul would call it our inner saboteur who mm. would say, People are sick of me. People will consider this transactional. People don't like me. People, you know, I mean, it just, it can go on. I mean, I can catastrophize with the best of them. Um, and I have, you know, some really ugly voices that can get going in my head and I've danced with them my whole life. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's not that that stuff isn't there. It's that I just kind of, yeah, I mean, at this point, 25 years in, I just feel like the people who are with me, there's a certain amount of people who are with me who are going to stay with me. I've mm -hmm. tried, you know, major labels and indie labels and home recordings and loud stuff and soft stuff and silly stuff and serious stuff and being crazily political. And then, you know, I mean, it just, it's, I'm all over the place. And I've lost a lot of fans and friends kind of like over the years doing it that way. But I've just always been a person that thinks I can either try and create a facsimile of myself, artistically or personally speaking, that people will enjoy. And then even if, but the problem is, even if I succeed in doing that, they've only bought a facsimile of me. Mm -hmm. Whereas mm -hmm. if I just do my best to be myself, I may well lose out on a bunch of people who would have wanted to smooth over a facsimile more mm -hmm. but the people that are there whether it's my friends or you know or like business partners or whatever it is are there not because i faked them out basically yeah that's the simplest way i can put it um and there's something very just um i feel safer that way i'm just a person who doesn't feel safe unless i know people are with me because they really, really want to be with me. If I have even a whiff of obligation or being part of a scene or they're just kind of, it just, uh, there's something in me that goes cold yeah. basically. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, I don't know if you're like me in the sense, like as far as like the inner saboteur, like you've get those voices, but like, I think 
I'm just wired just to get it done anyway, just because it bothers me if it's not done. <laughs> not so much done, like finalized, but as far as like, oh, I get it. Well, yeah, it, it, yep. it festers at you. I, I, yep. I say the fact that like a project's not at a good enough spot is a big enough voice than the saboteur, you know. And then and then you deal with that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that if you're like that, but I can just say that for myself. No, no. I mean, yeah. Well, and this is where it comes down to the fact that like I've got. You know, the Don't Give Up demo did go up on the streaming networks, but there were tons of other demos that I was making then that I listened to that I still really, really love, like mm-hmm. so much. But, and this is one reason I did the the, um, the kind of personal Patreon thing on the website is because I thought, well, if I could make a place to put all this stuff that people could choose to visit if they wanted to, and see like eight different demos of, of this song. Cool. Yeah. You know? Um, and even more so like someone could say, Hey, I really love this song. Do you have any previous incarnation? They could write to me personally mm-hmm. and I could say, Oh yeah, sure. I did. You know, and I could send them a link to this other demo. Like, and it's cool if they have it, like, I don't mind if they have it, but the point is whether, again, whether anyone else hears it or not, the way I defeat the inner saboteur is like, I just love, the song myself mm-hmm. and I and I honor the part of me that's like this doesn't feel like something I want to share with the world but it doesn't mean I don't think it's good enough it just means it's for me right now yeah. and um, I think Everyday Angels which is kind of going to be like the first single off of the new record it's a song that's been sitting around a while I've played it live a bunch at solo shows and there was one particular demo of it that I listened to for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I knew it wasn't where I wanted it to be to release it, but I also really loved it. And it's a very kind of sketchy EP sounding kind of demo. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, I just waited to do it with Jeremy. And the minute Jeremy sent back a version of it with him, like doing the drums, right. And doing the, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, yes, this is where this song wants to go. I mean, and, and not to get too woo woo about it, but I definitely consider myself in service of the songs. Mm-hmm. So it's not even about me deciding when they're done. It's kind of about them deciding when they're done. Yeah. Um, I, I, which again, I'm, I'm not trying to make that too literal and, you know, anthropomorphize a tune or whatever, but I do consider them little creatures mm-hmm. who are trying to teach me things and kind of lead me along. Yeah. Um, so everyday angels was just a song that I knew I loved it and I knew it had more to say mm-hmm. and I just waited. And I think one of the biggest things that I could offer, it sounds like you've got it pretty good, honestly, but uh, you know, an artist that is struggling with this stuff is just to have patience. Like if I write a chorus that I really love, I used to want to have that be a song within the week. Yeah. And at some point in my life, I started letting ideas sit for longer. And whether it was a part of a song or a whole song. Um, and I got into that kind of, um, there's a song called a ghost off of yes. the volunteers. And the chorus of that song, of course, a ghost could not affect this world. That little loop was in my head. I mean, 
I don't know, probably about 10 years. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. And I just, I loved it so much that I didn't want to force it and write a verse for it because I couldn't come up with a verse that felt as good as the chorus did. And more and more these days, if I get one little part down that I adore, again, I'm happy just playing that to myself over and over again, just, mm. just as a meditation. Mm. It doesn't need to be done. Yeah. And then if a verse comes along or, you know, or someone else likes it, there's actually a song on the new record called You're a Home. And the, it was, it's basically a verse, chorus, verse, chorus kind of tune. Mm -hmm. And it was that way. And I thought it was kind of done. I was like, yeah, it's a good little tune, you know, sweet little romantic song. And then there was this other song that I did that was, I had made for my sweetheart, really. It was just kind of a, like a home, like gift for me to her kind of love song. Mm -hmm. And within that one, the verse and the chorus and all that stuff, those are still for her. Those will really they'll really never be heard by anyone else, you know, except on, on the little, my little personal Patreon vibe, you know, on the mm -hmm. website. Um, I think it exists there in some way or something. Um, but the point is there was a middle eight that happened in that song that I kind of ran into accidentally. Yeah. That was like, uh Oh, this thing wants to do something else. Yeah. And so that one years after I'd made the song for Kim, I transplanted the middle eight from, from the song for Kim into your home. And it, it fleshed because your home was another one that was sitting around and I liked it enough, but I would find myself not playing it. Certainly not wanting to release it. Um, I just love listening to it. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, Ooh, this could be good. And so I just transplanted it. And all of a sudden from these two disparate ideas from totally different years, different times kind of made this, perfect thing that then is it's the last song on the record it's a really awesome. you know it's a song you know it's so it's for me it's a lot about patience it's a lot about just letting the ideas sit there understanding that i'm in some ways not the one making the choices here the songs are making the choices just keep letting the ideas come record every little idea so you can go back to it later mm -hmm. even if it feels insignificant um and yeah it's just that's a really fun rhythm for me. And it kind of takes the pressure away from, again, this thing we're talking about, what's done, what will, what is right, what is fit for release, all that stuff. It, it, I understand those questions. And so I'm trying to, you know, yeah, yeah. like be with you in the conversation about it. And I enjoy the conversation about it. And really I've kind of just done a little end run about around that stuff because I just, I think those are never ending and sometimes very painful loops to get into in my brain. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of put it aside and let, let things kind of take their course. Um, and shit. I mean, there's a reason it's been six years since I've done a full album. Um, I've done in between a few different projects, a bunch of co-writes, wrote a book, all this stuff. But more than that, I just had a bunch of songs that they, I just, I didn't, I don't know. It just didn't feel like their time. They didn't mm. feel like, it, I keep wanting to use the word done, but again, it's about the perspective shift. I felt like it wasn't that I didn't think they were done. It was that I just felt like the songs were saying to me, we're good where we are. Just take your time doing this other stuff. We'll be here when you get back. And, and they were, yeah. and 
And in fact, when I came back to them after doing all this other stuff, uh, all of a sudden realized like, oh my gosh, I've got a record. Yeah. And <laughs> you laid and the was, groundwork really already. Great. Like you've done a lot yeah. of the work already. One important exercise that I do want to share with you, actually two that I do want to share with any creative people out there um, is one is a thing called 20 song game. And my friend Gavin showed it to me and it's basically, you could do this alone, but it's kind of cooler with a, at least a couple other people. Mm. Everybody wakes up and uh, has, you know, little kind of some kind of recording space set up. And the idea is that from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., those 12 hours, to write and record 20 new things. Um, not things you've been working on, mm -hmm. like really whatever arrives that day. And, you know, that's for anyone who's ever tried to write and record a song, the math seems almost impossible. Yeah. Um, and it definitely requires getting that editor brain real out of the way. Yeah. Um, so I've only played this game once. Uh, I was in Portland with Gavin and me and him and maybe three other friends of his did it one day. And I, I think I got eight songs done. Um, cause the point isn't to like, get 20, no matter what, it's really just to kind of challenge yeah. yourself to get your editor out of the way. Um, so I did eight songs. I think the most anyone got to in the group was maybe like 15 or 16. Um, and it was so fun and scary and wonderful to get together with everyone at 8 PM. And we sat around in a circle and just played each other what we made. Mm -hmm. And everyone was so self-conscious about it because I mean, <laughs> some crazy shit comes out yeah. when you're really trying to just kind of get through it. And, and there's really no time to think about it. Um, but it was so, it was the safest and most happy I've ever felt in a group of, artists and songwriters, because everyone felt vulnerable to me. Mm -hmm. There was no chance that anyone was going to be delivering, you know, let it be, you know, yeah. it just, it wasn't <laughs> like, um, but um, a couple of those songs ended up on the subsequent record of mine. I fleshed them out a little bit, but not even that much. Like, mm -hmm. so a couple of gems came out of all that crazy. And it was mostly, again, the process itself was so beautiful. Um, so that, and then I kind of, I, 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 um, expanded that a touch. And in 2014, as part of my last solo record, I said to everyone that was part of it, which I think was 300 some odd people, um, part of the Kickstarter for it. Mm. I said, for anyone who does this, if we get to whatever the bonus round was, I will, um, I'll record a little fresh idea um, for every single person who who supported this record and mm -hmm. so i would so every day for 2014 yeah. i committed to writing and recording something fresh and i would send it whatever it was sometimes they i took a little more time and recorded them more sort of uh carefully and a lot of times just me into my iphone just me and a guitar like here's a verse here's a chorus whatever you know i just did a little thing yeah and but the coolest part was sending it to one person in the world yeah so like, it's kind of like the like your own little downright version like you like a, a jonified sure except downright. well yeah except they were they i mean downright the idea is that the people 
offer some input into what the song's yeah. about or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it was so a unique recording is when someone that's a much more involved interaction where someone writes to me and says, I want, I, I love my brother and I want, and it's his birthday and I want to make him a tune that shows, and, and I'll have them tell me about their lives mm-hmm. and I'll turn that into a song. Or they'll say, I love this song of yours, but I want to dedicate it to my wife. Can you put a little dedication at the beginning of Smile? Or can you sing um, Never Run, except instead of Katie, can you say my wife's name? Because yeah. I'm going to propose to her after I, you know. And so I'll make special versions of songs where they want a Deftones cover. They're like, hey, can you cover Cherry Waves? And, and I go, sure. Like, yeah. and, and I make some weird version of it. So that's a more involved thing, for sure. Yeah. This was more just, just the idea that I would make this little idea that I liked and I would just email it to someone who literally didn't even know they were going to get it. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it, I, I had people send me their birthdays and stuff. And so I tried to send people sometimes their idea okay. on their birthday. <laughs> um, but they didn't know what they were getting. Yeah. And this thing would just arrive for them. And I might read a little thing about it, but mostly I'd just say, Hey, thanks for supporting the record. Here's what happened today. And, and it was so, beautiful to just know that one other person in the world heard it or not actually, because they might not even check their email because who knows. Um, But I sent it to one person. So it wasn't just me in, um, in the, in like on the listening to this song. Mm -hmm. And, but it also wasn't the whole world. No one else would ever hear it. Um, And there was something very satisfying to me about the personal nature of that. And frankly, I did, this amazing exercise that I've never done before since of, of writing and recording a little idea every day. And six years later, I'm still mining that trove of ideas for choruses and verses and lines and stuff. So it was just kind of way of ritualizing my, my kind of little voice memo creative process, Mm -hmm. um, who, which is a big, big deal for me. Like Neil Young, I already did it, but he really remi- he said something like, even if it's 3.30 in the morning in the dark and the cold, if you've got an idea, get up and fucking record that idea yeah. and go back to bed. Um, and I, I take that pretty literally. Like, I, I, I'll be, if I'm in the middle of a TV show or a conversation or, a, you know, or sleeping or eating or whatever it is, yeah. I'll, I'll take the time to just mumble into my iPhone. I might, you know, and I have, I have gigabytes of voice memos, um, some of which I may never listen to again. Most things that stick around stick around because I remember them. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times, if I go back and li- and I will periodically go back and listen to what's happened in the past few months or whatever, and yeah, sometimes I surprise myself and I'm like, "Ooh, that's cool." Yeah. Um, and then I get to kind of start a new affair with it. So it's to me, it's all about keeping the creativity going. Um, and but there was something powerful about 2014 because I had a witness to every idea. Even if I never talked to them about that, there was something different about the fact that I was going to send the idea to someone else. I had to share it. Mm. It wasn't just about me making something every day for myself. Um, so I do think there's a power to that, uh, that whatever you or anyone wants to do with that. But those were two songwriting exercises that really underscored this thing I'm trying to talk about, about patience and about letting the song or the idea be just what it is right then and not sweating it after that. Mm-hmm. Um, those were two tricks that really, really worked for me. Yeah. The one that on a song that I'm about 80, 85% done right now, 
I because I remember when people started hearing about Rivers Cuomo from Weezer and how he has this crazy like he's a wildly prolific person too. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. and how he how he does it, even how he picks his soul his uh, uh, set list. But like I'm like okay, I can take a little bit of that crazy when I'm feeling dry. So I would load up my Spotify or whatever and just hit like shuffle and take like okay five songs like oh I like this key or I like this yeah. tempo. Yeah. Like this structure, and then I try to kind of That's super put, like, smart. put it together. In yeah. in this particular song, it kind of started off as like a trip hoppy thing, but then to yeah. what you said about Prince, it's like I just play what I want to hear. But really, what happened? Yeah. I just wanted to hear an alkaline trio song instead, so it morphed into that. But it got there yeah. regardless of yeah. where it started. So that's the one yeah. thing that I'm starting to try to do. If I sit down with the guitar, I'm like, well. All right, here That's we go. Cool. I might, I might, I might take that idea from you. That's yeah, I want to take, um, take yours too. <laughs> I didn't know it was a Rivers thing, yeah, but I mean, but I do know that Rivers. I happen to know the people that that manage. I don't know them, but I know of them, yeah. and I know of their relationship. Um, that manage Rivers, and yeah, he'll him and Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day apparently is this way too. They'll both send uh, their you know their management entity tons of ideas i mean just so many Mm -hmm. and kind of wait to get a bite you know if someone writes back like i think you got something there then they'll kind of go down that road a little bit you know um and i think that's pretty cool and that goes back to the witnessing thing it's i think it's cool to have partners and actually norman brannon who was in new end with me and did some time in gratitude and also was in texas the reason um He's been a guy like that for me for years. Yeah, He's a guy who, if I've got something I think is pretty good, I'll send it to him. And it's not that I'll, um, you know, take his opinion over mine. I, again, I really just want to love it. But his word and his thoughts and his taste means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. So if he actually, and he's the person, I sent him the song I wrote for Kim. And he was the first person to say, that middle eight, that's the shit. Yeah. Like, the rest of the song is good, but... That's amazing. And that kind of is what stuck that part in my head um, and why I went back and got it later because it meant a lot to me that Norman thought that much of that one part to single it out. Yeah. Um, and I liked, again, I liked it too, but his emphasis definitely helped me go, yeah, okay, that part is kind of special, good. And and conversely, there's at least two songs that did not happen on end up on the new record because Norman was like, they're good, but I don't feel them as much as the rest of the record. I don't think they sit with it. And at the time I was really in love with both of them, especially this one really in love with this song. I'd played it live. I had a demo of it. I thought for sure it was going to blow up really great on the record and be all hi-fi and fun. And he just never got into it. And it really affected me. Um, Not in a bad, like like in a really good way, but it, it was so, I think it's good to have trusted people who aren't me because um, I can really get in my head and fall in love with something. And, and that's beautiful, but there is this part of it where I can maybe end up leaning on some, I don't know what, some habits or something. I don't know how to, what the right word is for it. But anyway, Norman is like this voice that keeps me, I think out of habits I might otherwise slip into. Um, and I would say in my case, it's mostly looks like being a little bit too clever sometimes, mm. being a little bit too cute. Yeah. Um, and he 
pet, he, he's got a really nice, easy, loving way of steering me away from those impulses. <laughs> and, and it, I always end up liking it more. Like, it's not like, I like, it's not like I end up making something he enjoys that I secretly think, ah, shit, I wish I would have kept it my way. Um, it's that I truly think it's better yeah. after I absorb, cause he knows me real well. He loves me a lot. It, you know, and he's super smart and he's one of the best musicians and creators I've ever met in my life. And so it's pretty easy to take his, uh, you know, to take his word for it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really important thing in anyone's life. And I'd recommend it to anyone is having a good listener. And, and I love being that for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I love being a person for who's someone who's developing their creative. That's one of my favorite things right now about the little membership thing I've got going on the site is the people who want to, they, they don't, they don't write enough songs to really have a sense of all the stuff we're talking about, mm. but they know they want to create songs. And so I love being with them in their creative process and they can send me a rough thing and I can kind of structure it and go like, here's your verse, here's your chorus. Like, um, and I will offer them alternate lyrics. I will, if they don't have lyrics, but they have a melody, I'll ask them to tell me stories about their life mm-hmm. and kind of offer them things like, I think that sentence you just said, like, that's a lyric. And, and they'll go, what, that's a lyric? And I'll go, yeah, yeah, just yeah. think of that in rhythm with the song you just wrote. They're just words. And, and, and so I love being in that process with people as well. It's very, very satisfying for me. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. so Jonah, oh my gosh, we've talked yes. so much. I know, I know, I know. Two-parter, two we we're here. <laughs> no, but it's great. No, it's, anyway. I, I think it's awesome because this is the it's kind great. of stuff I like to marinate on and I wish more, um, I, as far as the people that I look up to and other, you know, when they're online or whatever, I wish it's the kind of stuff they wish they'd talk about as far as like how exactly because yes. I think it's important for people like us to see how other people are doing because it, it might spark something and and I just love yeah. having this conversation sometimes even more than creating my own stuff and so for me the more content yes. the better <laughs> so this has been well the, uh, great it sounds weird but like this is a song yeah we just made something we just improvised together yeah we weren't playing guitar yeah but we improvised that's what a good conversation is yeah and and I love that you preserve it. It's something that I, 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 I might go back to this conversation years from now yeah. and go, what did I say about that again? And there's a way that I would have said it to you or something you would have said to me that wouldn't happen that way in my own brain. Yeah. Um, and so it's a really beautiful thing. I could go forever, of course, yeah, me maybe, too. you know. Me too. <laughs> um, so please, uh, you know, anytime you want to talk further about stuff or if there's clarifying questions, Hit me up. I'm down to chat with you anytime. Yeah. And I love that it's being preserved for all these reasons. And yeah, I mean, one thing that might sound, oh no, it's, I think it's right in the same The thing about me wanting to just love what I do so much is, is also based on the reality that once I release it into the world, everyone else gets to make what they want to make of it. And Yes, that means some will like it and some will, but I'm not even talking about who will like it and who will not. I'm saying that there are, we can't know what our impact will be. Mm-hmm. When we release our ideas into the world, it could, someone could hear this and have a wild breakthrough about their creativity. And that would be so beautiful. And yeah. even if we never know about it, especially if we never know about it, it's just the idea that we did this thing, you preserved it, and now it exists in the world and someone else can find it. And I love that right now about 
the way we are with the internet and with postmodern kind of what hip hop culture brought us about sampling and about uh, one of my songs, I mean, songs that I've written decades ago now, someone could still find them and sample the chorus mm -hmm. and it could have a whole new life. Um, and that idea is so incredibly exciting to me. And so I hope, yeah, I hope that happens with this. I hope yeah. that someone finds some little nugget in this conversation and then makes their own podcast or their own song. And then, you know, it's just, it's really sweet. So thank you for yeah, thank you doing so the work much. that you do. Yeah. It's really, really beautiful. Um, I'm happy to, happy to be in it with you and look forward to more, man. These dreams will raise you up Some kids wanna be rock stars And some kids wanna be firemen Yeah, but those dreams will mess you up If you're in it for the bright lights and the battle scars It'll turn you into a liar man I don't know if I've seen a million faces Yeah, I'm not sure if I've rocked them all All I know I've met a lot of people Filled a lot of spaces Learned to jump and learned to take a fall And if that's not living large Then I'm happy living small Most of us, when we go out looking as we do For our lovers and our friends Yeah, we know it's not just supposed to be about what looks good We know it's not really all about the Benjamins yeah, but business is a lot like love And business is a lot like friendship Isn't it? You know, either way, if you just go out looking for what's rich and hot You'll end up with a piece of shit Maybe if I return those calls All I know is when I tune in, turn on and go out It's not my radio And it's not my TV show It's not my rock and roll Looks like one big fashion show All these punk rock pimps and hoes Selling this and selling those and so does cars and phones I mean, what's 
That's what passes these days for living large And I'm happy living small